Hi everyone, this is Pastor Brett from First Baptist Church here in Cherryvale, Kansas, and I want to welcome you to our Cherryvale First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Our prayer is that the Lord will speak to you through His Word for His people. If you're looking for a church home, we encourage you to join us for our celebration service every Sunday morning at 1045. It's a great time of praising our Lord and hearing from Him. We are just a group of passionate followers of Jesus Christ with a desire to worship Him and take His message of hope to the heartland. If you want to find out more information about our church, you can look at our website, www.fbcherryvale.org. My sermon will begin in just a moment, and thanks again for listening. Well, good morning. I'm glad you all braved the cold out this morning to make it here and worship with us. It's going to be a great day in the house of the Lord. I would invite you to find your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. As you're going there, when I was a little boy, our parents, they had a way of teaching us things, teaching things to us kids when we didn't even know that school was in session. One of those lessons concerned Christmas and some boys from the church. Now, these boys, they were about a year apart in age, about ages six, seven, and eight years old or something like that. And they were being raised by their overworked mother who had at least two jobs. The boys were often unsupervised, and they were definitely undisciplined. These boys, they came to our church much like many kids come to our church today. They rode the church bus, and their mama rarely darkened the doors of the church. I remember one year, it was after a Sunday morning service, they came over for Christmas. My parents invited them over after church for lunch. My parents, they had presents prepared for these kids that they gave to them. But the kids, they wanted to play with my presents instead. And as usual, they broke two or three of my toys. These boys, they were destructive. And for the life of me, I could never figure out why my parents let these young savages come into our peaceful home. I've got to tell you, as time went by, I learned it was for several reasons. Part of that being that to teach me the real meaning of Christmas. It's so easy for all of us to get caught up in this month-long frenzy of buying and wrapping and rushing and decorating and partying and all of that. I mean, each day there's a commercial appeal that's loaded with all these colorful advertisements in front of us for all the latest toys and clothing and sports items and technical gadgets. And it's not just for the children. You see, many of us adults, we get caught up in this craving for things too. Not only do we want them, but we want them now. A little boy was standing next to his father at the checkout line in the store. He asked his dad if he could have the little toy that was sitting there on display next to it. His father said, Christmas is only a month away. You'll have to wait for Santa and ask him. To which the boy replied, that's okay. I know a quicker way. I'm going to ask Grandma. This youngster, you see, he had already bought into and was practicing this instant gratification that we see in our culture today. In our preparation for the birthday of the one who had no place to lay his head, we are urged to buy the latest gadgets, the greatest toys, everything, you know, all the expensive things for our kids, the trinkets, the jewelry for our wives. Maybe it's the cutting-edge technology things for the outdoorsman in our husband or the computer geek in him. And we buy it, what? On credit. If we don't have enough cash to buy it with. And when the season ends, how do we usually feel when it's over? You see, too often we have these, what we call the post-Christmas blues. And we're utterly worn out. We take down the tree. We put away all the decorations. And we contemplate all those bills that are starting to roll in come January. In a moment of special introspection, as we're trying to reflect on why we did all of that, we might ask ourselves, is this the kind of celebration that pleases and glorifies the Lord Jesus? And that's an important question for us to answer. Let's read our text for this morning. Please stand in honor of reading God's word. I'll be reading Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. 
This was the first registration when Cornarius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time had come for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We just thank you for this picture, this word picture that you give us of Jesus being born into this world. God, I pray that we can unpack this story, unpack the truth behind the coming of our Savior and understand how many times we can be so busy in our world today that we miss what Christmas should really be all about. God, I pray that your word will speak to us today. Let us hear from you in our lives this morning and help us slow down and just experience the love of Christ and share that love of Christ with everyone during this Christmas season. It's in your name we pray and all God's children said, amen. You may be seated. Let me begin by saying, as we read the Christmas story, I believe there's one character in this story that each one of us can easily identify with. And though his name, it is never mentioned anywhere in the Bible, he's a key character in this story. That was that innkeeper in Bethlehem. His inn is mentioned in this Christmas story, but we're never told that shop owner's name. There's just that one phrase that we saw in verse 7, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, it's not surprising really that there was no room at that Bethlehem inn for the Holy Family, because remember, there was a Roman census going on, that registration was happening, and everybody, they had to return back to the hometown where their ancestors came from. And Bethlehem, its great claim to fame was this. It was the home of King David. So everyone who claimed King David as one of their ancestors, well, they were going back to Bethlehem. And they were returning by the thousands to the city. This was the Bethlehem's innkeepers. This was his big opportunity to make some serious money. But we put on our Christmas plays, right? And when we see him during our Christmas plays and even during our drive through nativity when we did it, how do we usually cast this Bethlehem innkeeper? We usually view him as what? A villain, right? We imagine him as being some kind of hard-hearted Scrooge, someone who's so intent on making money that he forgets all about hospitality. As I was researching for this message, I read about a Jewish lady named Mrs. Rosenberg, who some years ago, she went to get a room in a very exclusive hotel up in Cape Cobb. Now, this particular hotel, it was run by some Protestants from Boston, and they excluded Jews from allowing them to stay at their hotel. So when Mrs. Rosenberg, when she gave her name to the desk clerk, he said to her, sorry, ma'am, we're all booked up. But she replied, but you have a vacancy sign out front. The clerk, he kind of stammered a little bit and then finally confessed, sorry, but we don't cater to Jewish persons. Now, Mrs. Rosenberg, she kind of stiffened noticeably, and she said, it may surprise you to know that I've converted to Christianity. Oh, is that so? Responded the desk clerk. Let me give you a bit of a test. Where was Jesus born? In a stable, she replied. Who were his parents? Mary and Joseph, she answered. Then he asked, why was he born in a stable? Rather loudly, Mrs. Rosenberg replied this, Because a jerk like you wouldn't give a Jewish lady a room for the night. Now, it's doubtful that that Bethlehem innkeeper, that he was what we would call an excluder in our society today, because there's no reason to believe that he was a bad guy at all. He was just very busy. He was busy taking care of his customers. He was busy making change for all the different various currencies that were coming in from those different countries. He was keeping the peace amongst all the guests that were coming in. The tragedy is, when the most important birth in human history, when it took place in his backyard, he missed it entirely. 
Not because he was bad. He was just too busy. Friends, the single biggest enemy of Christmas today, it's not the ACLU. It's the cultural kidnapping of Christmas. The danger is this, that in the midst of all of the busyness, the buying, the partying, the celebrating, the serving, we miss the real meaning of Christmas, just like that Bethlehem innkeeper. It's not that we're too bad. It's not that we're too evil. We're just too busy. So let me ask, are you ready for Christmas? Or do you need a little bit more time to get ready? Not to worry, because the retail stores, they're going to come to your rescue. I remember years and years ago, they didn't decorate for Christmas until after Thanksgiving, right? In many stores today, what happens? They're trimmed up by Halloween, right? So as soon as the Halloween stuff goes down, boom, up comes the Christmas stuff. I suspect when our children, when they become adults, I think the stores are going to be decked out for Christmas by Labor Day. And if that's not convenient for you, well, guess what? You can shop online. You can shop over the phone. And if you're one of those more well-to-do people, well, you can hire someone, someone they call a personal shopper, to go out and buy all your gifts for you. So when it comes right down to it, if we were honest with ourselves, we don't have time for Christmas. Time. Understand, that is the new currency of the day. Our society, we value time almost as much, if not more so, than money. And while so many people are frivolous with their money, they're generally not the same with their time. And it seems that one of the places that people are the most conscious with their time is right here in the church. I've got to ask, why is that? Ben Franklin once said, dost thou love life? Then do not squander time, for that's the stuff life is made of. Time is one of the commodities that we can't make more of. We can make more money. We can get more energy. We can enhance our energy with drinks and vitamins and all of that stuff. But we only have 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours in a day. No more, no less. In case you weren't counting, there's less than six days or 132 hours or 7,920 minutes or 475,200 seconds till Christmas. The clock is ticking away. Isn't it interesting that time is made for consumerism at Christmas? We make time to go out shopping, to celebrate and do all those things. But do we make time for Christ, the Christ of Christmas? Will you make time for Christ this Christmas? What if Joseph, what if he had said, you know what, I don't care what Caesar Augustus ordered. I don't have time to go up to Bethlehem to pay my taxes. I've got this set of bookcases. I've got these shelves. I've got all these things that I need to build. I don't have time to do that. What if Mary had said, but I'm too young to have a child. I would demand too much of my time and my energy. And furthermore, I'm not even married. I'll have to get an abortion or something. What if God had said, send my son down there to earth? You've got to be kidding me. I don't have time for those God-forsaken people down there. And anyway, it's a stinky, filthy planet anyway. But Joseph didn't make that statement, did he? Neither did Mary. Neither did God. None of them said those things. Christmas is about a God who made time. And he came to us. He came to earth at just the right time. Listen to these two verses. Luke chapter 2 verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then Galatians 4 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. These two verses here, they're tied together and they're referring to the birth of Jesus, a very human baby from a very human mother, but yet a very divine baby from a very divine father. 
in these two verses. The whole theology of incarnation is unveiled. The baby of Mary's is God's only son. And he was totally human. Yet he was totally divine. The time had come. God had made time at the right time in history for Jesus to come. God didn't say, I don't have time for you people. Rather, he said, I'll make the time. I'll make the time for you all. God made the time. He sent his son. And he sent him at just the right time. He sent him out of his love, his love for you, and his love for me. Just a couple of quick points to make this morning. First is this. It's actually a question for each and every one of you here this morning. Number one is this. The big challenge for us is what? Will you make time for Jesus? Will you make time for him? Jesus came to the world that he created. He came to a people that had long awaited his arrival, but they didn't have time for him. The innkeeper. Remember, he was confronted by a man and his pregnant woman, and he turned them away, saying that he had no room for them in the inn. He didn't have time for the Savior because, yes, you see, he was too busy with other people. With the census going on, that tiny hamlet, it was crowded, and his place, it was the only place in the city for these people to lodge. He had rooms to clean, he had food to serve, he had decorations to put up, he had linens and towels to wash, he had people to care for. Understand, he wasn't an evil man, he wasn't unsympathetic, he was just too busy. I mean, that's all. The innkeeper reminds me of a lot of people who are so consumed with the commotion of Christmas in our world today that they miss the Christ of Christmas. They're addicted to activity, and it's not necessarily sinful activity. It's just things that keep them occupied, things that keep them distracted all the time. The clutter of shopping and parties and concerts and dinners, they preoccupy their day. They're too busy for the Son of God. Standing in sharp contrast to this innkeeper, there's another man who didn't have time for Jesus as well, time for the Savior. That was Herod. He was the reigning king of the Jews in that day. Now, Herod, he was very old and he was very weak and he was nearly dead. He was a dying man and he was tottering on an unstable throne. But like all tyrants, he held tightly to the reins of power in his country. He brutally removed anyone who got in his way. Over the years, if you read about him, you'd understand he killed his brother-in-law, he killed his mother-in-law, and he even killed his wife. The notion of a baby now being born. This baby being born the king of the Jews. Well, now that was a direct threat to his throne. It's no wonder that he tried to have Jesus killed because in his eyes, he had no choice. It was kill or be killed for him. He was ready to kill anyone, anyone that would be a threat, even a tiny helpless baby. Now, Herod, he's not unlike many men and women in the world today who won't allow anything to interfere with their career or their position in life or their ambitions or their plans or even their lifestyle. They won't let someone else be the king or the ruler of their lives so they don't make time for him. They see Jesus as a threat to that, so they make no time. Allegiance to someone else to them, someone other than themselves. That's just unthinkable to these types of people. They, They have no concept of this. Then there's another whole group of people I want to talk about that didn't make time for Jesus. And if there were a group of people who should have been aware of the timing of Jesus' arrival, it should have been these people. It was the chief priests and the scribes of the day. 
Understand, they were the theologians of the day. They were the religious elite of Israel. They were the ones who had studied all of the prophecies regarding the coming of the Messiah. And you would think that they would have been encouraged to read the signs, understand, well, okay, this is what's going on, that he was coming. They preached for a deliverer. They preached for this anointed one to be coming, someone who would come and eradicate the oppressors from their country. They were the theological experts, the guardians of the spiritual truth. Yet, guess what? They never bothered to make that trip five miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to find out for themselves if the Messiah had indeed been born. I mean, surely they too, surely they had to have seen the star in the sky like everyone else. I'm sure they heard the news of this infant baby being born over there. So why, oh why, why didn't they make time for Jesus? Indifference. It was their indifference. They didn't care about Jesus. They had all the facts, but it turns out the Messiah wasn't really important to them at all. They didn't have time for the Savior because they felt they didn't need the Savior to do their jobs. They were so self-righteous that they believed that they were already all that God that he could ever want out of anyone here on this earth. They were sickeningly arrogant and they had no time for Jesus. In fact, when Jesus, remember when he began his public ministry, it was these same men that despised Jesus so much and it was these same men that ultimately plotted to kill Jesus. I know people like that and I bet you do too, don't you? People who just don't care. They don't care at all about Jesus. And sadly, many of those people, they're in the church today. Maybe there's even some this morning that are here. Have you learned yet that familiarity breeds contempt? You see, you may be familiar with the Bible, with the prophecies, with the teachings of Jesus, but you're contemptuous, you're derisive, you're condescending of the Savior, you're indifferent people, and that's disdainful. It's a deadly sin not to care about the Savior. It's typical of people, including religious people, who don't think they need a Savior, people who don't feel they need Him working in their life. Jesus came to a people, a people who had a problem. That problem was sin. Indifferent people, they ignore their sin, and therefore they ignore Jesus as well. They don't care about the remedy because they don't believe that they have the disease. There's an old story about a man who said this to his friend. He said, I've heard that the two major maladies in America today are ignorance and apathy. What do you think? And his friend responded this way. He said, well, I don't know, and I don't care. How many of us have not taken the time for the Savior simply because we don't care? Apathy and ignorance, they lead to one's own demise. There was one other group of people that were present who didn't have time for Jesus, and they're not even mentioned in our text anywhere, but they exist. They live in every age going forward. They're the people who don't have time for Jesus because of delay. We have a name for those people. We know them as what? Procrastinators. They're the procrastinators. The procrastinators, they saw the star just like everyone else. They heard about the baby. They knew that something strange, something wonderful was happening, and they wanted to check it out, but they never got around to it. They had the opportunity of a lifetime in front of them. The very Savior of the world was within their grasp, and they put it off. They put off going to the manger to see that baby Jesus. Procrastinators, they live in every generation. They know what they should be doing, but they fail to act because of their lack of urgency. Ah, oh, there's no hurry, they'll say. There's always tomorrow. It's communicated in phrases like this. 
I'll buy that gift after Christmas for them when it goes on sale. Or I'll write that, note, that thank you note after things slow down a little bit. I'll go and I'll visit my dad or my mom when the holidays are over. I'll have more time then. I'll give my heart to Jesus next Sunday. But as we all too often experience, even in the smaller things in our life, tomorrow never comes. We lose the opportunity that was before us. There's a legend that recounts a company of demons that were before Satan's throne. Satan, he's barking out in loud voices, Who will go to earth to convince these people not to give their lives to Jesus? One of them said, I'll go and I'll tell them that there is no heaven. Well, that won't work, Satan protested. The conviction of a better life, it is too deep-seated in the hearts of men. Another one said, well, then I'll go and I'll just tell them that there is no hell. Won't work, Satan thundered. He said, man's conscience will witness against such mockery. And just then, there was a dark spirit that glided forward and said to Satan, Satan, I'll go. And what will you tell them, he asked. The spirit answered, I'll tell them that you have plenty of time to trust in Jesus. Tomorrow will be soon enough to give your heart to the Savior. There's no hurry. According to the legend, that was the demon that was sent to the world. And it's still roaming the earth today, whispering into the hearts of men and women. There's plenty of time, plenty of time to give your heart to Christ. There's no hurry to get religious in your life. You can have fun. Just have fun while you can. Just get it out. Sow your seeds, sow your oats. Tomorrow is soon enough. So what do we need to do? Under number two, we must practice presence this Christmas. The reason we celebrate Christmas, it's not about the gifts, the trees, the decorations, the eggnog, the gatherings, the fruitcake, if you got one of those traditional ones that pass around your family, or any of that kind of stuff. The reason we celebrate Christmas is Emmanuel. It's God with us. It's his presence, not our presence under the tree. Throughout the Bible, we see that God's greatest gift, His greatest blessing for His children, it always has been His very presence. In fact, the Scripture shows us over and over again that being in His presence is a blessing and being cast out of His presence is a punishment. Look at Adam and Eve's response after they had sinned. It's found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. How about Moses? Remember he was leading his people out of Egypt. Look what God is most concerned about as he's leading his people out of Egypt. Look at Exodus chapter 33 verses 14 and 15. It says, and he, now he is God here. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then verse 15 says, and he, and here, this is Moses here, this he. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. If God's presence isn't with them, he says, then we don't want to go. We shouldn't be doing this if you are not with us. Where do we find the fullness of joy? We always find it in God's presence. Look at Psalms chapter 16 verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. King David in the midst of his repentance, in the midst of his confession of the sin that he had, he asked God to restore him and Look at what he begs of God. Look at this, Psalms 51, verses 10 and 11. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. 
Just a few chapters later, after announcing the sign of Emmanuel in Isaiah chapter 7, we read this in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. These people who walked in darkness, they have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice in you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. John 1.14 tells us, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus. God present with us and among us. We read in Luke chapters 1 and 2 about the gift of God's presence through this baby Jesus. The incarnation of Christ, we read about that in Philippians 2. And it tells us that he left this position up on high, up in heaven, to come down and dwell with the lowly so that we might experience his presence for all of eternity. And then in Revelation 21, where it describes the new heavens and the new earth, look at what the greatest gift is. It's his presence. Look at Revelations 21, 3 through 5. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. The time when we're supposed to be remembering Christ the most is when we tend to abide in Christ the least. Let's remember the true meaning of Christmas. Let's truly keep Jesus. Keep Emmanuel. Keep God with us. He is with us and we are with him. Keep that the focus of Christmas by abiding in his presence. Here are some quick tips on how to practice his presence during the holiday busyness this year. Number one is this, start your day with him. Perhaps some of the greatest Christmas carols, they are also worship songs to the Lord. Stay in his word. Follow the Advent Scriptures or just read the Gospel of Luke. Read one chapter a day through the Gospel of Luke. Number two is this. Keep a gratitude journal. Slow down long enough to list things that you're thankful for each day. One of the things I do before I even start praying to God, the first thing I write out is everything I'm thankful for. Waking me every day is always number one because I know there's, there's going to be a day I don't wake up. And every day I'm awake, I say, God, thank you for waking me today. And I go through everything I'm thankful for. And it may be the same thing every day. There may be some things added in there. But every day we should be thanking him for the many great things that we have. Number three is this. As you're wrapping the gifts that you bought, if you hadn't wrapped them already, pray for the person whose gift you're wrapping. Pray for them. Pray that God would bless them. Pray that your gift would be received with the proper heart. Pray that it would be useful to them in their life. Just pray for that person. Pray for their family. Pray for them. It's an easy thing to do as you're sitting there mindlessly wrapping gifts. Number four is this. As your Christmas cards, as they come in, what you need to do is you need to thank God for that family and pray for them. When you get that card, look who sent it, and then pray for that family right then, right there. Thank you, Lord, for putting these people in my life. Bless them, Lord. Give them your grace. Give them your mercy. If they don't know Jesus, pray for their salvation if they need it. Because there's so many people that will send out Christmas cards just that's because that's what you do. And it's not a religious act for them. It's It's just something they do. Number five is this. 
when you're in the checkout lines, and right now the checkout lines tend to be very long at most stores, make eye contact with people and, here's the big thing, smile. Smile at them. Smiles will go a long, long way. These are both gifts that you can do in today's busy world without costing you anything at all. Number six is this. Remember the hurting. Holidays, they can be a hard time for some people, especially widows and orphans. Send them a card. Send them some cookies. Just be present in their life. Just let them lean on you and love on them through this holiday season. Don't push. Don't pry. Sometimes they don't want you to answer them. They don't want you to tell them how to solve their problem. They just want someone to listen to and to be with them. Be that person. Number seven, ask God to give you the eyes to see as he would see. There's opportunity to be in his presence and to shine for him. It's all around you every day. Most of them are little opportunities, some that we miss so often, little things that we can do, helpful things, opening doors, saying thank you, being polite, that we miss every day. And we miss that blessing, the blessing that we could give to the other person for being there and being kind, and the blessing that we could get from being that person. When you see those who are hurting, I encourage you, be like Jesus to them. When you find people who are in need of grace, give them grace. When you're around people asking for forgiveness, be forgiving. What do you do to remember Emmanuel, to remember him in this season? How do you, in this busiest time of year, how do you slow down and abide in Christ? How do you practice being in his presence every single day? Let me close with this. Do you have time for Jesus? Do you? I'm going to ask you a personal question. I went through five different types of people as we were going through this lesson. Which of those do you most identify with? Do you identify with Mary and Joseph? It wasn't easy. It wasn't convenient for them. But they made time for Jesus. Are you like the innkeeper? Do you not have time for Jesus because you're just too busy? You're on the go. You got something going on. You got work, and then you got to go to this function and to that function. You got to go buy these gifts. You got to go make this food. You're just always on the go. You don't have time to just stop and be in his presence. Maybe you're like Herod. Maybe you don't have time for Jesus because you're so self-absorbed in your own agenda. It's all about you and what you have going on. Perhaps you most identify with those religious leaders. Oh, you're familiar with Jesus. You understand the Christmas story, but your heart, it is covered with calluses. You've heard the story. You, you've heard this Christmas story far too many times that you don't hear it anymore when it's talked about. You just don't care. So you're sitting there and you're saying, why bother? Why even bother with all of this? Maybe for you, does the procrastinator group, does that resonate with any of you? You know the need. You realize the peril that's coming, but you'd rather wait. You'd rather push it off to another time, till maybe it's more convenient for you. Are you whispering to yourself, ah, there's no hurry. I'll make time for Jesus. I'll do it later on. Tomorrow, yeah, maybe tomorrow. If not tomorrow, maybe the next day. If God made time for us, can't we make time for him and Christ? Let's get ready for Christmas. Let's make time for Jesus. Let's do it beginning right now. Christmas is going to come whether you're ready or not. And Jesus, he's going to come again someday whether you're ready or not. While there's still time, I challenge you, get ready for Christmas and get ready for Jesus. And if you have to choose one over the I can't, I can't do both of those at the same time because you know, I'm so single-minded. I encourage you, be ready for Jesus first. Amen. Let's pray. 
I want to thank you for listening to the message today. I pray that this message somehow has touched you and created within you a passion for action for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have any questions or you need to make any decisions or you just need to talk to someone, I encourage you to contact your local pastor. And if you don't have one, if you don't have a local church, you may contact me through the church office at 620-336-2777. We'd love to see you on Sunday mornings in church for our celebration service. It's a great time of fellowship and worship of our Lord and Savior. Come join us. We know you'll be blessed. And thanks again for listening to the Cherryvale First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. And have a blessed day.